since I became a pastor, I had to get one of these little things to make it make myself look the part here. I just want to correct Hamlet. Uh, Hamlet, the group of people over here, uh, they don't necessarily read their on-ramp, just so you know. Uh, we announced it at Hope on Campus, so... Um, Though they may have read their on-ramp, we'll give them that much. Um, good morning. Uh, my name is Korsha Molesky. Uh, I have recently been hired as the pastor of outreach and assimilation here at, at Hope Community Church. Um, many of you may, may not know me, um, but maybe you know my wife. If you're getting married, uh, she's, she's the wedding coordinator here, and uh, she also is a big lover of Christmas. Maybe you've heard that there's... Uh, we, we've already started celebrating uh, this past August. We, we've seen Santa Claus 1 and Santa Claus 2, Home Alone. Uh, we've, we've seen a Brady Christmas, a very Brady Christmas. Any lovers of a very Brady Christmas? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've already started singing, singing uh, Christmas songs in the car and greeting one another in the morning with Merry Christmas. Um, so, so she wanted to make sure that I said to all of you, to you and yours, uh, Merry Christmas and a, and a Happy New Year. Um, so, uh, Pastor Steve gave me the choice on what I uh, could preach this morning, and I thought we'd just take time and look at all the, the previous 12 chapters of Acts this morning. Is that, is that good? We'll just keep, we'll just hash over what he went through, and we'll just kind of sift through it again. No, we're not going to do that. Um, I'm going to continue on uh, where he left off last week. He, he talked in a, about Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, and we're going to continue on. So if you want to find that place in your Bible, I'd appreciate it. Uh, my crack staff worked hard to try and get the, uh, the verses up on the screen, but I'd appreciate it if your eyes don't continue to bore uh, a hole in me. Because, uh, yeah, look at your Bible or look at the screen. or No. Um, so just to, to, to reinforce what's happening here is that, that Herod has... King Herod Agrippa has decided that it's time to start persecuting Christians. I don't know if he like looked at the calendar, it's like Tuesday, so it's like, oh, well, it's time. So, but he started doing that, and he has killed uh, one of uh, the disciples, one that's in Jesus' inner circle. Uh, James has been killed. And this has actually brought about uh, a, a favorable response among the Jewish people of the day. And... Uh, so, so Herod goes along and he seizes Peter also, one of uh, maybe even considered a greater leader at that time, and seizes him. But because it's the Passover and the Jews are gathering to celebrate how great and loving their God is, they're going to wait to persecute Peter until after that time, okay? So we're just going to hold off on Peter so we can celebrate what a great and loving God we have. But we'll, we'll get to him and kill him later. Um, but one thing Pastor Steve wanted to emphasize last week was that the response of the church in the wake of James' death and Peter's imprisonment is that the church responded by earnestly praying to God. Will you pray with me as we get into the, the remaining verses of chapter 12? God, we love you so much. And it truly is amazing grace that allows us to even come to you right now. And God, as we spend time together, Looking at your word, would you allow us to see the mission, your mission that's taking place, that you have set out your witnesses, you've sent them out in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth to testify about that amazing grace, 
about Jesus Christ. God, as we look at this miraculous story, let us not lose sight of what you're doing, what your mission, what, what your plan being carried out. In Jesus' name, amen. So we pick up the story in verse 6, and it reads this way. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists, and the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. Nobody likes a, a naked prisoner, so put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. And so this is just, it's miraculous. It's just, the, God comes and meets Peter in that cell. And he provides a way out. But Peter doesn't understand what's happening. He's, he thinks he's seeing a vision. He thinks he's dreaming. I mean, has this ever happened to you? Perhaps if you're, you're married or you have a roommate, you know what Peter's experienced here? You get woken up after you've been asleep for a while. Uh, this happens to me. Uh, I get the tap. Anybody, anybody else? Am I the only one? You get this tap after you've fallen asleep. Um, what happens is uh, Jill and I will both go to bed, but when I get in bed, I like to fall asleep. That's why I'm there. That's the purpose. <laughs> so I'm actually gifted with an ability to fall asleep once my head hits a pillow. But Jill, she'll get in bed, and between that point and when she actually falls asleep, she, uses, she utilizes that time to process about her day, about how it went and what she's preparing for the, the next day. And so often I'll get a tap. Is, am I the only one that gets the tap? Maybe it's just me. But okay, all right, I, I see that hand out there. We, we get the tap. And something in her time of processing, she's realized that she needs something. And I remember distinctly one time, I was after we were married and, and, and it was fall and we were living up in, over in Uptown and it was cold outside, but she needed something. And so I get the tap and I hear these words, core. I need something in the car. <laughs> the car. Not like on the, on, on the end table or something by our bed. It's in the car where, where it's cold outside and, and I'm half asleep. <laughs> so I finally end up, you know, hauling my tired bag of bones out of bed and I go in and I do this for her. Um, but now it's becoming, it's becoming commonplace. You know, that this, this happens pretty regularly, and I'll, I'll end up getting her a glass of water or this or that. But now there are times it, it's become so common that I don't even remember the tap anymore. I don't even remember what happened. She has to tell me the next morning things that I've done. So now she's asking me, you know, to, to do the laundry and wash the car and mow the lawn <laughs> after I've fallen asleep. Not exactly true, but... Um, but, but in those situations, I, I, I'm experiencing what Peter is experiencing here, where he, he doesn't really understand if this is a vision or if this is happening or if he just wants it to happen so bad that it, he's creating something in his mind. But back to the story, it's totally miraculous. It's totally awesome. 
But it's, it's rather simple, right? It's like Peter asleep, angel comes, tap, tap, let's go, and then they go. And it's awesome. It's miraculous. It's totally great. So we pick it up in verse 10. They passed the first and second guards, and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself, like came to his senses, and said this, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. So the miraculous becomes even more amazing. It's not just that the chains fell off and he got out of the midst of those two guards, but he goes through a couple sets of guards and through the iron gate and he finds himself free. I mean, this is, this is great. This is fantastic. This is amazing. But it's not unprecedented. This has already happened. Acts chapter 5. God has already done a work like this. The Sadducees arrested the apostles. This is Acts chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. The Sadducees arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. So God had done this before. The apostles had experienced this before. Peter knew about God's ability to do such a thing. So why do this? Why include this in the scriptures? Well, one, obviously, it's a historical account, but, but another point that I want to spend some time developing with you is that the environment, the circumstances have changed. What Peter and the other followers of Christ were experiencing was different at this point. Peter says that this angel came and rescued him from Herod's clutches and from everything else the Jewish people were anticipating. So last time, if you go back and you look at, at chapter 5, what was the environment? What was, what was going on at that time? What were the circumstances surrounding that imprisonment and that freedom that the, the Lord provided? Well, one, if you look in uh, chapter 5, verses 3 and 11, we find out that it's not just... At that point, it was just Jewish leaders. Chapter 5, verses 3 and 11, it talks about Jewish leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests. Those, who were, those people were taking offense at followers of Christ. But now it's not just them. They have persuaded the rest of the general Jewish population that what they're espousing about Christians is true. And so the, the crowd is getting bigger that's opposing Christians at this time. But it's not just that it's the Jewish leaders and now a lot of the Jewish people, but Herod. They've aligned themselves with Herod. And so now there's political influence. And so the environment has changed. It's not just religious leaders. Now it's become a political issue. There's, there's political involvement. And it's not just a religious issue. It's, it's the rest of the Jewish population. And so the, the crowd is getting bigger. And it's stronger in opposition to what's happening so that's one thing. But then there's, a, there's a di another change in environment, and, and this is that the Christian leaders are being dealt with differently. If you look back in chapter 5, verses 38 and 39, uh, the first, with the first jailbreak, Gamaliel had persuaded the other religious leaders not to kill the Christian leaders. He says these words, If their purposes of human origin 
It will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And this persuaded the Jewish religious leaders. And so they don't. They don't end up killing the leaders of the Christian movement at that time. But in this second situation, in this second jailbreak, in this present case, the Jews were pleased with James' death. They were pleased that a leader of this movement had been killed. And we can, it's safe to assume that they would have been pleased with Peter dying as well. So the circumstances are different. The environment has changed since the last time that God did this. It's like these, these changes about the, the, the group that's opposed to Christians and then how they're dealing with Christians, it's like these two changes have raised the stakes. This Christian movement is gaining momentum. They're gaining momentum as they carry out what they've been called to do, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as it's gaining momentum, it's being confronted with this resistance. The group surrounding them, coming against them, is stronger, it's bigger. It has more political clout. And they're dealing more severely with the Christian people. So God's plan to send out witnesses near and far is being met with stiffer resistance in this situation than in the previous one. We pick up our story, verse 12. When all this, that the, the fact that God had rescued Peter from Herod and the Jews, had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they, they said to her, it must be his angel. So from verse 5, as I mentioned earlier, we already knew that the people of God were praying on Peter's behalf. But here, the, the, the part of the story just kind of gives us a little bit more insight that they were at the house of Mary, and she had allowed them to gather there for prayer, and that she has this servant, Rhoda. Now, how about her, huh? God bless her. She comes to answer the knock at the door. She hears the voice. She recognizes the voice. It's Peter. And then she doesn't let him in. Um, <laughs> when she carries on, they say, you know, you're crazy. You, you know, you're out of your mind. It must just be his angel. Um, this, this angel reference, according to one commentator, uh, it, it refers to a Jewish belief at the time in guiding and protecting angels and that sometimes these angels would, would um, resemble the people that they were, they were gu guiding and protecting. And just in that one sentence, we don't have enough to develop a full theology of angels, and that's not the point. But the point is, I think, to look at the terrific ironies that are taking place in this story, how God has, has moved and worked miraculously and the people aren't, catching up on it. They're not, they're not figuring it out. I mean, one irony is that Peter's standing at the door and they won't answer the door. It's like, here, you've been praying for him and he's there, but they won't answer it. And then, then the fact, it seems even more ironic, that they're more apt to believe that it's his angel than it's actually him. Like, they knew how, how bound he was, you know, that he was like in lockdown. And so they're more apt to believe, no, 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 it must be something else. It's probably it's his angel. And then Rhoda, you know, says, no, Peter's at the door. 
But the one who can prove that, she won't let him in. You know, it's like, how ironic is that? God's miraculously provided, you know, the answer. And then, then they, won't, uh, they won't go get him. And I find it ironic that it's easier for Peter, with God's help, to get out of jail than it is to get through the front door. It's like, he, <laughs> it's like you know, Peter, what happened? Well, I got out of jail. Well, what are you doing now? Well, I can't get in the door. My, my friends won't let me in. You know, it's terribly ironic. Thankfully, the story doesn't end there, though. Uh, verse 16, but Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the others about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, as you can imagine, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. This is, this is fantastic. The church is actually able to witness the answer to their prayers. And as you can expect, their astonishment just overflowed with joy. It was a party. But Peter had to calm them down. Why? The stakes had grown. Remember we just talked about that. The environment had changed. The stakes were at, at an all-time high. And Peter had to try and temper their celebration. He had to try and quiet them down because he knew that if anybody was going to catch wind of this, that they were in danger, that his life was in danger. You just have to look at what happened to the guards. They were executed. The stakes are high. And so Peter petitions for their quietness. But he adds these words. Tell James and the others about this. What is the this? What, what does he want the others to know, James and the others to know? We've already seen that God has done something like this before. Followers of Christ would have known, you know, stories would have circled uh, around, amongst the people that, that God had delivered the apostles when they were in jail one time. And I think we need to remember that things have changed. The stakes have gone up. Resistance has increased. The, op the opposition has grown in numbers and strength. And even, even these people have resorted to deadly force. And so this snapshot of Acts 12 shows us what's happening to two disciples who are carrying out God's mission to be a witness in Jerusalem, to be a witness in Judea and Samaria, to be a witness to the ends of the earth. And in this story, that mission results in two very different outcomes. James dies. Herod puts him to the sword. And we know very little else. But Peter lives. And he's able to go back and tell people about how God delivered him. About how God had provided a way out. And then the church is able to respond to that. And to see miraculously an answer to their prayers that God had provided. And if you're anything like me, you wonder why. Why is James killed and Peter spared? Why did God deliver one and not the other? In order to deal more with that question, I think we need to step back from the details for a moment. Step back from the, the nuances of the text and the ironies and the different relationships and the different circumstances that are going on. And we need to, 
we need to step back and see God's bigger picture. You know, we've kind of been at the local level, like if you're on MapQuest, we were at like a two, and now we need to zoom back to like a six, you know, where you can't quite make out every street sign. Um, and I think we need to realize that God's plan is always bigger than any one detail. Now, he doesn't not care about the details, but his plan, his mission being carried out is bigger than any one or two details. So let's, let's take time and, and step back. And if you haven't done this in your own life, I encourage you to do this. Many times we can get so caught up in our own circumstances and interpret what God is doing around us based on our own life situation. Where, where I would encourage us, and we need to do this, is to step back and look at what God is doing and then interpret our circumstances in light of that. And so let's do that. Let's do that with, with James and with Peter's situation. Well, what is God doing? We know, we've seen it, Trike has preached about it, Acts 1.8 is happening. That God has, has blessed his followers with the, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit so that they can be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God wants his people to go out and tell about all the things that Christ has done. So he's, he's carrying out his plan. But there's some, also some other things that come along with this plan and what the disciples know about because the disciples have been with Jesus. They were his followers. James and Peter were, were in that inner circle and they, had, they were privy to a lot of inside information, you would call it. And one of them is John 15, 20. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. A time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. That's something that James and Peter, they knew, incorporated, embedded in their mission, was persecution. And in another place, Jesus prays for his followers, that, that God would protect them through the power of his name. And they had, they had witnessed firsthand Jesus' protection for them in a number of different circumstances. And so it's not just that they were sent out the, on this mission to be witnesses, but they also had these teachings of Christ with them that would help them in their mission. And that's part of God's broader plan. And so having looked at that broader picture, let's go back to James now. Was James a part of God's plan to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? Yes. Now, was he outside of God's plan because he was killed? No. We just read about it. Another verse that talks about it is Jesus told his disciples that they may be killed so that when the time came, they would remember what he had, what he had told them. So James is not outside of God's plan because he's killed. What about Peter? Was he a part of God's plan to be a witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth? Yes. He's a disciple. He's a follower of Christ. Unlike James, was he outside of God's plan because he didn't die for the faith? He actually was delivered. You know, absolutely not. Verse 11 says that Peter knew that the Lord had done this. It was God's plan to save him. So I can't tell you why necessarily James died and Peter lived and why it wasn't vice versa. But we can be assured that both of them were part of God's plan, engaged in God's mission to be witnesses in their world. And so what's the importance of Peter giving this, this, this message to the people that were at Mary's house? 
Why did he tell them to say, hey, make sure you let James and the other brothers, a different James, know about this? What, what, what is that? It's critical for them and it's critical for us to know that both James in his death and Peter in his miraculous deliverance reflect their being a part of God's plan. Now many of us may never experience being put to death or we may never experience a miraculous deliverance like, like Peter, but we might. We may never be called to the extremes of life and death, of miraculous deliverance from a prison. We might. But many times our faith is lived out in the mundane of life. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us to be a part of God's plan? I think we need to respond to what God has placed in front of us. And real quickly, I want to look at three people that we just kind of glossed over that were part of God's plan in this passage. First, precious Rhoda. Oh, Rhoda, Rhoda, Rhoda. She's doing her job. She's following God as a servant in Mary's household. She's doing what God's called her to do. A job, a task has been placed in front of her and she's doing it faithfully. She's a part of God's plan to be a witness in her area. But the, the great part about it is that one precious day, God brought forth joy in her job. I mean, she was used to answering the doors all the time. But then one day, she, God blessed her with the opportunity to open the door to answer prayer. One precious day, Rhoda caught up in the, the mundane, the monotonous, the flat-out boring of life, and here she's blessed, miraculously, to be a part of God's deliverance plan for Peter. And I stress the point that just because she was doing her job, she was being faithful to what God had placed in front of her. Mary, the mother of John Mark in this story, she's well off. She lives in a larger house. Um, she hadn't been called to, to, you know, sacrifice her life for the faith as far as we know. Um, she's being faithful with what she had. She had a large room. They needed to pray. She invited him over. Seemingly a trivial deal. A very small act. But she's carrying out God's plan. A mark of the early church was that they shared what they had. Every possession that they had, they shared with one another. And she's helping to further God's mission just because she shows a little bit of hospitality. And then the third group is all the rest of the people. It is the people who showed up to pray. They came to pray for Peter. They sacrificed whatever else they were planning on doing and they took time to pray. Again, a mark of the early church. And then one precious day, God met them in their prayers and answered in a miraculous way just because they prayed. What about you? Where are you at? What are you doing? What about me? What about us as a church, as a group? What are we doing? Where are we at? Are we being faithful with what God has placed before us. In this story, 
to be faithful with what God has put before them. For one person, it meant death. For another person, it meant freedom. For another person, it meant service. Another, hospitality. And another, prayer. What about you? Many of you are in school. I hope it doesn't come as a surprise, but as a student, you're, to, you're supposed to study. That's, that's what God's placed before you. <laughs> Wish somebody would have told me that when I was back in college. But uh, as a student, being faithful to what God has given you is to study. If you, if you are employed, being faithful with what God has given you is to work. And if you're a father or a mother... Parent, if you're a son or a daughter, honor your parents. If you're a husband and a wife, love one another. And it may seem trivial at the time. It may seem meaningless at the time. You may not understand the implications. But as you do that, as you are caught up in the mundane, you're carrying out God's plan. Following Christ wherever you're at. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're gifted with, whatever experiences you have, whatever passions you have, carry out God's plan to let Christ be known wherever you're at. Be a witness in your Jerusalem, in your Judea and Samaria, in your ends of the earth. Be a witness for Christ. And you just never know when a precious day is going to roll around and God is going to meet you in the mundane of your life, and he's going to bring forth a miracle. And so in the meantime, be faithful with what God has given you to do. And we are assured that God's mission will go forth. We may not understand all the details, but we can be assured that God's bigger picture, his bigger plan will go forth as we're faithful in what we're called to do. Will you pray with me? Father, thanks for this story. For showing us that the stakes have been raised. God, we can, we can observe those same stakes being raised in our own culture. And that the call on Christians is different than it was 20 years ago. Than it was, it's different than it was 40 years ago. We're in a new time and a new place. And we want to continue to experience you. Not unlike Rhoda. Not unlike Mary. Not under, unlike Peter. And maybe not even unlike James. God, every year is a, is a new era and you're continually bringing about your mission and your plan and the details have changed God God help us to be faithful in what you've called us to do in whatever small corner of your plan that may be so that your mission may go forth your mission will carry forward so that at one point the ends of the earth will be reached and everybody will have heard about you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please.